bring your shame, bring your guilt, bring your pain. Don't you know it's not your name? You'll always be much more to me. And every day I wrestle with the forces that keep telling me I'm not right. But that's alright, cause I hear a voice and time I want to yell yeehaw, but uh, maybe you did in your living room. Good morning, Carpenter's Way people all over the place. Some of you are in Florida, some of you are in Ohio, some of you are in this room, and we are 
we are so glad to see you. We're so glad to be seen by you. Uh, man, I thought last week I was starting to get excited. I was thinking, end of July, we're going to be back. We're going to have everything back. And then it started getting bad again. So just be praying for our country and our leaders as they try to deal with this uh, COVID uh, thing. Lots of opinions about it. I know there's lots of opinions in our church about it. Just keep walking with God. Nothing's changed. I mean, nothing's really changed. You can still minister to your neighbors. You can still uh, worship. You can still join us and learn. We've got men's ministry going on on Tuesday mornings online uh, where there's interaction. There's women's ministry Bible studies uh, Sunday morning. Uh, as you know, or for those of you who don't, we're on a three-week ro rotation in our worship center. And, and uh, so that we know who's here and how often, and, or so we know who's here and if someone gets sick, we can inform people that they need to be tested. We're on, a, like I said, a three-week rotation of all of our Bible study groups. And uh, you're, they, they come in and they often meet that same week they're in here. But that doesn't mean when you're away, you can't. And uh, we encourage you to watch online. And, and maybe in a few weeks, we'll be able to go to uh, just every other week. But please bear with us. You can still worship. You can still fellowship. You can still uh, be encouraged. And like I said, women's Bible studies we've got online. We've got men's Bible studies. And now we're very excited because we have a virtual VBS going on for our children. And uh, it starts actually this afternoon at 4 o'clock. And uh, is Alicia in here? I don't think she's in here right now. She'll be here in a minute. But uh, at 4, at 4 o'clock this afternoon it starts. And if you have not, if you have not, hey, Ferguson's. Sorry for the interruption. They took their masks off, and I recognized them immediately. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, 4 o'clock this afternoon, our, our uh, VVS begins. If you have not got the packet, we have over 100 kids registered, which is remarkable online in this season. So, uh, but if you have not, would you please email Alicia? It's alicia at cwbc.org, and she will get you connected and do the best we can to hook you up. So it, it's, a, it's a wonderful opportunity. Our student ministry continues to go on Wednesday night. Um, so be involved. I know, I know this is not ideal. I know we all want to be in here. I know we all want to be in person, but we got to be wise. Uh, we all wear seatbelts, and uh, that's because we want to be smart. We know this does not question God's sovereignty. Uh, we just want to spend as little time in the hospital as we can while we wait for him to call us home. But uh, anyway, so that's kind of where we are as a church. So keep serving, keep giving, keep, uh, keep being involved, keep growing and keep learning. Um, this afternoon, or next Sunday morning, uh, John Rowan's class is invited here, Connie Rhodes, Stephen Lewis's class, Bill Havard's class, uh, the stu uh, student ministry, Bible study leaders, and then uh, the seekers class as well. So please plan on joining us next week. And for those of you in the room, real quick, I want to tell, give you some information. Connie Rhodes' class will be meeting in the library after service. Uh, Melinda Brevard's class is meeting in the Smarts room. Uh, Robert Grimes' class is meeting in Robert Grimes' room. Uh, Merge, we're meeting tonight at 5. And then uh, Home Builders' class, that's Clay Alverson's class, is meeting in their new classroom. So that's what's happening this morning. I'm going to pray. I'm going to commit our time to the Lord. I'm going to tell you I love you and I miss you and I'm thankful for those of you who are here this morning. There's actually some people I haven't seen in like four months and it's really hard for me not to run over and hug them, but that would defeat the purpose of social distancing. So uh, let's pray. God, we love you so much. And we're thankful that first and foremost, you loved us. And Lord, you don't love us because we, we've accepted your offer to forgive us or because we've walked an aisle. It says that while we were yet sinners, you loved us and you died for us. And we thank you for that love. Thank you for that consistent love. 
And I pray for Father, Father, for those that are on vacation right now. We've got a lot of families out on vacation. Keep them safe. Keep them healthy. Lord, as they go, may they see their lives as missionaries, as they sit in restaurants and they talk to people. May they see opportunities to share Christ with, with people that are scared. And uh, Lord, free us from fear. Make us wise. Lord, as we continue to work, uh, as we get grumpy a little bit, Father God, help us to think more about what you're doing in the world than how we feel. And may we be willing to offer our, our desires. Uh, may we be a living sacrifice. May we be willing to give up our comfort for the kingdom work. And Lord, thanks for those that are here this morning. Thanks for those that are watching online, those that are watching on the archive. Would you just bless them? Let your Holy Spirit transform them as we study your word together. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
God's face and saved us there. 
like our God, we spoke and there was light, we saw how it should be, and who is like our God, who sent his son to die, to set the captive free, we will exalt you, our God the King. 
and over all the earth we will sing be in through with our worship to you by the praise that you'll do oh be in through let our worship reach you like the scent of perfume lifting you where you belong oh be in through be in through who is like our God Love that knows no end. Who is like our God, the ever-reigning King, always faithful friend? We will exalt You, our God the King, over all the earth. We will sing, sing through. I worship to you by the praise that you'll do. We'll be in through. Let our worship reach you like the scent of perfume. Lifting you where you belong. We'll be in through over all our suffering and over all our suffering. Over all our fear, and over every sickness, and over every sin, and over all of our desires, and over all our dreams, we exalt you high, O oh Lord, we enthrone you the praise that you'll do will be in through let our worship reach you like the sin of perfume lifting you where you belong will be in through be in through with our worship to you by the praise that you'll do will be
to Jesus I surrender all to Him I freely give I will ever love and trust Him in His presence Oh, and I surrender, oh, I surrender, and all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender, to Jesus I surrender humbly at His feet I worldly pleasures all forsaken take me Jesus
Come take me now, I give it all to you, do what you want Chad, will you, when you put your guitar down, will you stand back up and Mike, I have a question for you. Those last, that last song, not, not the last one we did, I Surrender All, but the bridge to that, Chad wrote, and the one before that, Be Enthroned, O God, is uh, an original with you, right? So when you wrote that song, what does it mean to be enthroned? Why, why that chorus? Um, so the, the idea comes from a psalm, and uh, it's basically, there's a scripture that says, you, O Lord, are enthroned on the praises of your people. And so, you know, being enthroned, I think the definition is basically putting someone in this place. And so, not that God needs that from us, but it's a reminder for us of saying, you know, be enthroned in our lives. Be enthroned, you know, you're already there. You're already sitting on your throne. You're already there. But it's just a reminder for us to put him where he belongs and put him back on the throne, so to speak. So that song is a, a declaration. It's saying... Take your place. I give, you, I give you the place. And then we go, when you wrote this package, then you went to I Surrender All, which is a very familiar song, but you wrote the bridge to that, which has a totally different um, association, attitude, than the, you know, all to Jesus, I surrender. We, we all kind of bow our head and we kind of go, yes. But then the, the bridge you wrote is powerful. It's like energetic. Was there a reason for that? I don't remember. I wrote it so long ago. Okay. Um, I give it really, all to you. Yeah, I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was just one of those, I don't know, just I had this course going through my head, and I was like, that fits here. And so, yeah, I, I It's very meaningful to me. <laughs> You're fired. Um, no, thank you. Thank you, Chad. I, I, I knew about the first one, but for me, it's extremely meaningful because I think when we come in uh, to worship the Lord, that we have a, t- we, we, um, we come humble, we, we, we have a familiar song that maybe Chad wrote or a hymnist wrote, and we kind of bow our head and we kind of like that, and, and we kind of go into uh, rock concert mode, you know. A few years ago, Julie and I went to a concert with Stephen and Tamara Lewis and uh, Heather uh, Terry. Her husband didn't go, that's right. I was trying to think if, if Trevor went, but it was Heather, and they took me to a Barry Manilow, Barry Manilow concert, and... And you know, when he starts singing those love songs, you start going, oh, I know that one. Actually, I knew every song, which is really embarrassing. But, but uh, it's, it's really, you, we do that with Christian songs too. We kind of go, I know, the, I know the chorus, I know the tune. And, and we don't think about what the, what the hymn writer was, was saying. And there is a difference between being a child of God, actually adopted into God's family, being saved, and saying, I give it all to you. And right now, in this weird moment. I mean, can you believe it? Now we have Sahara Desert. I mean, none of us wanted to go to the Middle East. It came to us. I mean, wow. Don't read Job. Do not read Job. It can get worse. But the the fact is that it's a weird year. Everything about this year is really, really strange. But there's some good stuff in it. Like right now, when when you open Facebook and turn on the news, you can get angry at a political party. You can say, that guy's a fool. How could anybody vote for that man or that woman? How could they do that? And you could... You can be mad because uh, next couple days, uh, the city, uh, apparently the, the county is considering requiring masks. And man, people are already debating if it has any value to wear a mask. But it's going to make people mad. It's going to make you mad. It's going to make you mad when people don't wear a mask, if you're a pro-mask person or if you're an anti-mask person. <laughs> I can't believe we're pro or anti-mask. But if you're an anti-maskite, 
or a pro-maskite, whatever you stand, somebody's going to make you mad. And then somebody who writes about it is not going to give the right argument. You're going to be mad about that. And then you're going to get mad that somebody cuts you off in traffic, and then you're going to be mad. Or you can say, wait a minute. Be enthroned. Be enthroned, oh God. Be enthroned. I know you're on the throne, and that's what Chad was just saying about that song. That's what I thought he wrote it about, because that's what I hear. You own life. You own it. You are sovereign. And I live in a great country that allows me to vote and allows me to do stuff, but I, I'm going to trust you. I, I want you to be on your throne. I'm going to trust you to be enthroned. I'm going to do what God asked me to do, and I, I'm, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to, I'm going to minister to people till my dying breath. We, we just uh, on, I don't know if it was on Netflix, Corey Timboom special, was it? No, it was on Amazon Prime. Corey Ten Boone is a hero of mine. Am I pronouncing it wrong? Oh, I thought somebody laughed. Andy, don't laugh until I'm funny. Um, but Corey Ten Boone is a fan of mine. If you do not know, the, the generation behind me probably does not know her. She uh, grew up in the Netherlands. Her family was a strong Christian family. And um, uh, her, you guys are distracting. I'm going to send you to the back of the room. Um, but, uh, but they hid Jews in their town and eventually got arrested for it. She, she and her sister and her father were thrown in a concentration camp. Her father died, her sister died, and uh, she lived and had traveled the globe sharing with people the hope in Christ. And uh, amazing story. And I encourage you to, to watch it on Prime. It's free if you have that. Uh, it's, the, it's, it's, a, it's a biography. And Annie knew the story. We watched it a little bit when she was young, but there's a movie that Billy Graham Association, it's very old, it looks old, but uh, made a few years ago about her story. Watch the biography first and then watch the movie and you'll pick up things that she made sure were in the movie. But this is a woman whose life was radically turned upside down and, and, and everybody's saying, oh, we're, we're turning into Nazi Germany or Venezuela and I think we should vote. I think we should take a stand for righteousness. We should do everything we can short of alienating people we need to tell about Jesus. The kingdom work is more important. I said that carefully. But having said that, if this does turn into Nazi Germany, just remember that God is still on his throne. And every day when we wake up, we can say, be enthroned. Well, I don't want to live in Nazi Germany. Neither did they. Neither did they. This is, this is a wonderful time to be serving the king because who knows what tomorrow brings. Tomorrow, we could get, uh, we could get I, I don't know, a liberal inflow from California. That was funny. You guys are not funny this morning. That was hilarious. We're getting that already. My dad just moved here, but he's conservative. But it's just, it's just reality. It's life is changing. Our country is changing. It's very, very hard. It's scary, and we want to act, act upon it. We want to save it. But at the end of the day, God is on his throne. He knows exactly what he's doing, and we've got to trust him. Do what you can and tell people about Jesus. You really, you really want to see this country saved? Introduce them to Jesus Christ, the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, because he is the only one who can save us. It's very hard, though, because life throws curveballs at you, doesn't it? Things that you don't expect. And it seems like they're always kind of, they're, they're, unex, they're totally unexpected. They're really weird curveballs. I did laugh this week or last week when they started talking about the Saharan dust coming this way. I mean, it's just quite remarkable that on top of everything else that's happening. Uh, I debated whether to show this to you, but I want to show you a picture that some of you have seen before. This is the picture of my brother-in-law, my sister's husband. This is the day he went to be with Jesus. He had uh, uh, hepatitis C, 
They couldn't cure it or slow it down. He lived a long time. Many of you met him probably, I think it was, must have been eight years ago. Eight or nine years ago, he came here and worked on our house, and he worshiped with us for a summer. Uh, his disease got worse when he went back, and later the next year, he went to be with Jesus. This was the day the doctors told him that he wouldn't survive, that day. This is what he did four hours, five hours before he went to the presence of Jesus. He's lifting his hands, and he told his family, I'm going to see Jesus, let's worship him now. That's Craig. Craig was an imperfect guy, but he loved the Lord. And, and, and I'll, every time I look at this picture, because despite looking forward to being with Jesus, I'm afraid of death. I, I just don't, I, I don't. It's that doorway I don't understand and I don't like. But every time I look at this picture, I ask myself, what would I do if I knew that I was going to be in the presence of Jesus in a few hours? Or I was going to be dead? What would I do? What would I say to Julie and my kids? What instructions would I give to Zach and Anna about the future? What final words would I want to leave with them that, that when they are old, they would tell their kids about? Well, Jesus is about to die. And then physically, remember that it isn't just about his death. Jesus dies. He rises from the dead three days later. He's around for about 40 more days. And then he ascends into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of the Father until his second coming. So Jesus is fully aware that he's about to leave these guys physically. And I, I know we could argue, well, he's still present. That, the Holy Spirit is in us. He talks to us. But, you know, we've all longed for moments, if you're honest, where you wish you could tap Jesus on the corner and go, I know you're God, and I know you're in control, but I have a little question about politics. Or do I really need to wear a mask? Or is this going to kill me? I mean, questions that you wish you could ask Jesus. Well, while he was here, the disciples could do that. Now, they didn't always like his answer, but they could do that. And Jesus had protected them, he's going to say later in the garden, when he prays in John 17 in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, Father, I protected them while I was with them, but now I'm leaving them. And his prayer, and, and we'll get to it, if you remember in John 17, his one theme is unity. May the family of God be unified. That'll come up later in our message. But Jesus knows he's leaving, physiologically leaving the disciples. And so for the past couple weeks, we have watched him get really intense. This is the last week of his ministry before he's arrested and killed. This last uh, few weeks, we have watched him uh, move, we've watched him move through his life and ministry of the end of his life. For the last few months, what is the last few weeks of his life, we watched him be transfigured. And from that point on, he points the disciples to Jerusalem. He starts telling them clearly that he's going to die on the cross. And they start walking towards Jerusalem. In recent weeks, we've watched him uh, raise Lazarus from the death. That seems to be the linchpin that, that pushes uh, uh, the high priest to say, we've got to kill this guy. Remember his statement in there. It's better for one, die to, to, one man to die for the nation rather than a whole nation die. And <clears throat> then we watched them throw a party in his honor because he resurrected Lazarus from the dead. We watched as he led a procession of Hebrews who want him to be their new Moses their national deliverer king, into the temple courts on what we call Palm Sunday. And he ushers that crowd and that, that, that group into the temple courts. They thought that he was going to overthrow Rome, but he overthrows the temple courts, the merchants. He turns the tables over. And he not only rebukes those that are selling, the merchants, but he also rebukes those that are buying. 
He tells them that they have turned his father's house, the place that they're supposed to meet with God, a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. This is a devastating rebuke, not just to the religious leaders that the crowd might have agreed with, but he also rebukes the crowd that day. We have watched as Jesus pleaded with these same Hebrews throughout the week of Pas- uh, the Passover week before his arrest. He pleads with them to allow him to be their Passover lamb. That's why he turned the tables over. You don't need to buy one. I'm giving myself for you. We watched as the religious leaders ask him what right he has had to do the miracles he's done and to proclaim the things that he's done. Last week, we listened in as Jesus had an intense moment with his disciples, disciples as they're in, they're in awe of the temple courts. And Jesus warns them not to overvalue earthly things, including impressive religious icons like the temple or wealth or even their earthly nation. He informed them that all of this stuff would be destroyed in time, some of it in the near future and some of it over the, over the uh, distant future before the end would come. And he talked about valuing his second coming He told them to look forward to their return. And when they saw certain signs that they should stand up and look towards heaven because their salvation was near. The last few weeks have clearly been intense, and I know it. I've heard from a lot of you. Because Jesus' last messages to all these groups, from the religious leaders to the the Hebrews in, uh, in general, and then even to the disciples are incredibly intense. Jesus is not only God, he's human, and he's having this intense last conversation with these people that he cares deeply for. And he's trying to talk some into following him. He's trying to talk some into trusting him. And he's trying to talk those who already have into understanding that the things they value are not the things that he valued. One thing that I have been reminded of in this study is that our hope, and and pay attention to what I'm about to say because it's different. Our hope is not found in going to heaven when we die. That's nice. Our hope and our, our anticipation should be to be with Jesus. We, we really have, even though I know all of us in this room and online, understand that this is not religious, it's a relationship. And that's what God wanted. And you understand that. Even heaven is about the relationship. Even our hope is about the relationship. We have come to, to say, man, heaven's going to be great. Look, it's, you know, the New Jerusalem is going to be 1,500 cubicle miles, uh, crystal river. We talk about the crowns we're going to get. We talk about the music and the worship and the things we're going to see. If none of that happened, being with Jesus would be enough. He would be enough. And, and the problem is that while we love Jesus, and I'm not talking about you or us as a church, but in general, in Christendom right now, and you can tell by the way people are acting, while we're thankful to Jesus for saving us from hell, man, we don't value being with him. That's why we want to live so badly. That's why I want to live so badly, because it's hard for me to imagine. I've seen too many TBN fundraisers where they try to recreate heaven as this cold, purple and gold room. That's not interesting to me. Heaven is a place where you kick your shoes off. It's our home, friends. It's our home, and it's our home not because of what's there, but because of who is there. It's all about Jesus. Every bit of it is about Jesus. It's not about Calvin. It's not about Arminius. It's not about Luther. It's about Jesus. It's not about Baptist or Catholic or Lutheran or Methodist or Mormon. It's about Jesus Christ. And if you're any of those things, and Jesus is just the way you get what you want, you are not saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Nobody comes to the Father. It doesn't say to heaven. It's a relationship. This morning it, t- it changes. We, he's done. Uh, actually, let me bring you up to speed with where we are. Matthew 26, 1-5. When Jesus had finished saying or teaching all these things, what's he talking about? Preparing the, uh, the disciples for the destruction of Jerusalem. Explaining the coming persecution, what we studied last week. That all of this would take place before his second coming. After he had finished saying all of these things that we've been looking at, he said to his disciples, as you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Those words must have annoyed the disciples. They, they simply could not wrap their minds around the fact that Jesus was about to die. How do I know that? Because of what happens. They, they are still, in a few days, a few hours, in the upper room, after going to the upper room and explaining to them he's going to die again, like, like nine times, Jesus has told them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. They still are arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They simply can't wrap their minds around the fact that Jesus is dying. <clears throat> they were having a hard time grasping that the impressive temple could fall And now on top of it, their Messiah, God, is going to die? But God's plans and His ways. And I hope in this study you are seeing the parallel between them and now. I hope you see it. Because right now, every day on the news, there's another, you've got to be kidding, here? In our country? Our our political figures are saying that? They're going to tear down images of emancipators? In the name of Black Lives Matter? How crazy is that? They're going to now tear down statues of Jesus, which, by the way, I don't really care about. But they're going to tear those down in the name of Black Lives Matter? How crazy has this become? The answer is nuts. And that's how they felt. What is going on here? What are you talking about? God's plans, His ways are not as our ways. And He doesn't think like we do. So, verse 3. At the same time, Jesus, and by the way, the Greek means at exactly that moment, and John wants us to understand that. While Jesus is saying to the disciples, fellas, the Son of Man has to be handed over to be crucified. At that same time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest. And they were plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people might riot against us. Matthew 26, verse 14. Jump down to verse 14. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to these leading priests. And he asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Mark 14, 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, Jesus asked his disciples, Uh, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus uh, sent two of them to Jerusalem with these instructions. And if you have any doubt that Jesus is in full control, watch this. I love this text. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He's going to take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. 
That is where you, where you should prepare our meal. So two disciples went into the city and found everything, just as Jesus had said. There was a dude carrying a pitcher of water. There was a house, and there was a room already set up for them. Look, don't get in such a rush to get to the next part of the story where you miss these really crazy little things that happen. They're, they're like, uh, where do you want us to set up Passover? Oh, I've already made the plans, boys. You go into the city, dude standing with pitcher of water. You follow him. He's going to take you to a house. Ask the owner of the house that the Lord is ready for Passover. What, where's the guest room? You go up into the guest room. It'll be there. And they found it exactly as Jesus had said. And they prepared the Passover meal there. This meal, you know, is the upper room. Would be the final night and the final meal Jesus would have with his disciples before his arrest and murder. This meal that they were preparing was their private Passover Seder service and meal that where they would remember together God's faithfulness. Now pay attention, this is important. God's faithfulness to the Hebrew people to answer their prayer for a national deliverer we know as Moses. So this Passover, they are celebrating, every Passover they celebrate God's deliverance from Egyptian slavery. This Passover, God was about to set them free from a whole lot more. From sin, from judgment, from condemnation but more on that later. John 13 is going to be the text that we spend most of our time in today. In verse 1 of John 13, before the Passover celebration, so they all go together to the house, they go to the upper room, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. So what he's about to do is growing out of love for them. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him all authority over everything. Take that in. There are some who like to say that, God, that Jesus didn't have sovereign control. That's not true. You have it right here. Jesus knew that the Father had given him, handed it back, be enthroned, Jesus, if we could take Chad's words, be enthroned. Take your position as king. He gives him authority over everything. And that he had come from God and returned to God. So to be clear, Jesus in the upper room at the Last Supper was fully in charge. He knew who he was, it tells us, what was about to happen, why it had to happen, and the authority he had at his fingertips. He had complete, absolute, 100% God authority. He wasn't just man. He was full deity. He was fully God. The Father stood back, if the Trinity can stand back, and gave all of the authority to the Son at this moment. And the Son, if he can separate himself from the Father, which I don't know that he can, but that's the, a discussion for a different day. But he stands back and goes, okay. And here's what he does with all authority and all power on his shoulders. Verse 4. He gets up from the table. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And he poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. I am fully aware that you understand what foot washing was about in biblical times, but for those who don't, I'm going to go through it with you. Jesus had used a lot of verbal parables. You know them. Uh, the Good Samaritan is one. Um, the prodigal son, which it's actually called the, the tale of two sons, but the prodigal son is another. He had used a lot of verbal imagery in order to explain truths if they wanted to understand those truths. Well, Jesus is now going to give them a visual parable that is going to give them something that they can see 
of how things would need to be in his physical absence. Like you saw Craig with his hands up in heaven, and he has this conversation with my sister, with his family, with my brother, preparing them for his home going. Jesus is now having going to have a visual parable, something that they would need to understand in order to make it after his physical absence. This lesson, as John makes clear, was that despite having all authority, it started with this fact, that despite having all authority in his fingertips, despite knowing he was God, if there's any question, that text I just read you said that he knew where he had come from and he knew where he was going to return to. There's no doubt. This text, John wants us to understand that what he's about to do is with his full cognitive awareness, there's no doubt that he is God, that he's divine, that he was sent to earth for a purpose, and that his time had come to fulfill that purpose. He knew that. And with that in mind, he gets up, takes off his robe, takes on the position of a servant, and begins washing the dirty disciples' feet, drying them with a towel around him. It tells us that the reason that they did this, and this is super important, Christian, the reason he did this is not just the lesson they're going to learn, but the thing that empowered him to do it, that convinced him to do it, was his love that he had for these people. And the reason that stuck out to me this week as I studied is I want you to know child of God, adopted into his family, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you are his child this morning, sometimes by the rhetoric of the church and evangelism focus, we begin to think that God has more love for the lost than he does the saved. He will take you as you are if you're not a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you better not screw up. That, that too often is the energy of the church. And I'm here to tell you that that's not how Jesus felt. Jesus loved these men. He loved them, and it tells us until the end of his life he loved them. And this was the proof of that. What he was about to do is show his love for them. What he's about to teach them is for their betterment and their protection, for their well-being. Child of God, you may feel alone, confused, tired, and like God's too busy working on unsaved people to deal with you, even in your rebellion. This text says that's not true. He loves you. And he's willing to serve you if it's, if it's in his plan. We pick up John 13, verse 4. He got up from the table, being God, knowing he was God, knowing what's about to happen. He took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, he poured water in a basin, then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Philippians 2, 6, and 7, I want you to look at this. Though Jesus was God, the he there is Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave. Paul understood this. And this is the manifestation of that, him washing the disciples' feet. Think about this. Literally hours before Jesus dies, he chooses to humble himself, take off his outer garment, and do the lowliest servant position in the house. What kind of God is this that has saved us? I, I don't, I, I'm going to struggle in saying this, so, so listen carefully. Try to get what I mean, not what I say, because I don't know how to say this. There isn't an invented deity. There isn't an invented God in any fake religion anywhere across the, goal, across the globe. There isn't a made-up God who loves you like Jehovah loves you. They wouldn't even think. There's not a religion in the world, including Mormonism, 
where God loves you so much that despite who you are and what you are and what you'll do, he doesn't give up on, on serving you. In the Mormon religion, when you become baptized into Mormonism, your first commitment is to keep the Ten Commandments so you don't shame God. Jesus Christ, to be honest, took shame on for you. You realize that he didn't hang on the cross with a loincloth around him. We do that so that, well, so you don't have to look at his naked body. You realize on the cross he was nude, naked. That the people around the cross were mocking his nakedness. They took his robe off him. It was shameful what happened on the cross. This was shameful. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Interesting things about, well, washing people's feet in this time. The streets are dusty. There's drainage ditches down the side of city streets where wastewater and sewage freely run. No matter how far away from them you stay, some of it splashes on you. They didn't wear sandals with socks or stockings. And a little known fact is that even a Jewish servant girl, which was the lowliest position for a Jew if they were a servant, would never be tasked with washing feet. They had to find a Gentile to do that because it was below even a Jew. I want you to imagine how radical this was especially when you begin to understand and contrast it with what the disciples believed was about to happen. They still, and you'll see this in the coming weeks, are convinced that Jesus is not going to die even though he said he was going to die. They're convinced he's going to set up a kingdom and they're actually, just a week before, a mother of one of the two disciples asked if her sons could sit on either side of Jesus when he set it up. And next week, after watching Christ wash their feet, the disciples will begin arguing about which of them will be the greatest. Again, there's not a religion in the world that has God loving you like this God loves us. Even the fake gods aren't as good as the truth of our God. I want you to realize how in love with you He is. He's not mad. John 13, 6. So Jesus is washing their feet. And He comes to Simon Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, you're not going to wash, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. Super important. You don't understand right now, but you will later. So Peter, just shut up and let me do my thing. That's what he's saying. Be quiet. Let me do my thing. What does Peter do? He acts like Mark. Absolutely not, he protested. You will never wash my feet. Peter, Peter, Peter. Simon Peter, sensing the reversal of normal, cultural, acceptable roles, roles that he was personally comfortable with, Peter rejects Jesus being his servant. I don't want you to serve me. He told him, no, thank you. That's not something I'm comfortable with. What makes a child of God, a follower of Jesus, what makes us think we have the right to tell God no? I mean, I want you to think about that for a second. I mean, you're kind of in it right now. You really are. You're looking at the world, and I know, because I'm having weird dreams too. I'm not having visions. They're not visions, trust me. They're weird dreams. Unsettledness. This is not a good time to sleep. 
Every time you turn on the TV, something else weird happens. It happens five times more on Facebook, but it's just kind of a weird time, right? I'm not, I'm not alone in thinking this is a weird time, right? And sometimes you look up into heaven and you go, God, I, I, know, I know that this isn't your plan, so A, B, and C. What if it is? I don't want it to be. Actually, I'd like to be fat, dumb, and happy for the rest of my life. I'd like to be that little old pastor who was faithful all those years and then just died in a, you know, died in a nursing home that had a, you know, a massive coronary preaching to a million people. I, I would love to have you bury me right here so every pastor had to stare at it while they preached every Sunday morning. I, I, I would love that. I'd love to have my grandkids rule the world. Actually, I don't want them to rule. I just want them to take care of it. I, I want a comfortable, safe life. Don't you? What if that's not in God's best interest? I mean, that's what happens here. You realize that, right? I don't like this. Peter's watching Jesus wash the disciples' feet. And he comes to Peter and goes, are you going to wash mine? mine? Even... <laughs> oh, no, no, you're not. <laughs> Absolutely not. There's no, there's no way. Because Peter forgot himself. You see, Peter thought he was part of the program. He's just a benefactor of the mercy. And yeah, God had a task for him, but God has a task for all of us. Just because your name's in the Bible doesn't make you special. You may quote me. It just means that God has a lesson to teach us through your life, and most of them aren't really that positive if you check them out. The truth is, we only know Peter because God wants us to know that he uses fools. And because we're just like him. I'm not saying God's plan is is to destroy America. I'm just telling you that I don't think you know that God's plan is to sustain America. And at what point do we say, I'm going to rest in God, my Savior? At what point do we stop looking at things that we put our hope in and listen to Jesus who says, that's all going to fall down? I don't want it to fall down. I can't imagine it falling down. That's okay. Your imagination is to be in me, not in your world. You've been hearing this for the last year and a half. Everything Jesus teaches points to this. At the very beginning of his ministry, he said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will take care of themselves. Didn't say good. The problem is we've put our hope in our culture. We've put our hope in our history. We've put our hope in our imagery of Jesus. What if you as a black man get to heaven and find out Jesus is white? What if you as a white man get to heaven and find out Jesus is black? What if we get to heaven and they're not speaking Hebrew? Pfft, don't be silly. That's only because we've recreated God in our image. His color is irrelevant. His plan is everything. Do we trust him? Peter didn't. That's why he said no way. And so, when it was his turn to have his feet washed, he refused to allow his Lord the one that we know that he believed was God because we read his first two, his two letters. Jesus replied, all right, but if I don't wash you, you don't belong to me. <laughs> what? Jesus, I mean, can you not imagine Peter going, okay, I might have overstepped again. Even more, do you think Peter was thinking, man, Jesus is in a really bad mood. He's overreacting. All I just said is don't wash my feet. Or maybe he wanted to move Jesus. But whatever the case, 
The interesting thing here is seen in Greek and it's much more clear. But while Peter was thinking about foot washing, Jesus wasn't talking about foot washing. He was talking about something bigger than dirt on feet, which is always the way it is with God, isn't it? Isn't that the way it is with you? Dear Lord, please heal me from this disease. Dear Mark, you need the disease to meet the doctor that I want you to witness to. Dear Lord, can I meet him for lunch? Dear Mark, no. Is that, is that and I know I'm making examples, but I, I want you to think about your life. Is that not how your life works? Every time you think God has, you've got God figured out, he changes the game plan, except now you realize he didn't change the game plan. It was always the same. He just didn't, he, it was always the same. He just chose not to tell you what the game plan was. Because you know why? It's none of your business. What do you mean it's none of my business? It's the game plan. He's got the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and Omega. Do you trust him? Yeah. Then let him wash your feet. The Greek word used by Peter when he tells Jesus he cannot wash his feet is, it's, it's, it's he's saying, if you know, uh, um, it's, it's, a, it's a simple dirt washing. It's superficial. Jesus was a complete cleansing. It's 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all. Cleanse. All, past, present, future, every bit of it. It's an absolute deep bath. Peter was talking about Jesus embarrassing him by taking the lowly form of a servant and washing his six toes on the left side and the fungus on the right side and touching all that. How inappropriate it was to Peter to, to think of his Lord and God washing his feet and he, he told him not to do it. What he didn't understand is Jesus came to be the ultimate service servant by offering himself as God's slaughtered lamb who would cleanse people of their sin. Again, in English, this conversation on cleansing doesn't have the punch that it does in Greek, which is why Peter responded with this when Jesus say, says, if I don't cleanse you, you're not with me. And if you're doubting it, listen to Peter's response. Peter exclaimed, the Greek there means he shouted out. Then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. You've noticed after listening to me for 15 years preaching that when I have something to say, I overheat and I speak too fast and loud. So did Peter. P Peter, Peter listens to Jesus. He was trying to correct Jesus. He was trying to help him understand that he's not Jewish enough. He doesn't understand the ramifications of taking off his outer garment and washing his feet. You don't understand this, Jesus, and you're embarrassing yourself, and you're going to embarrass me, and I won't let you do it. You can do it with the rest of these losers, but not me. I am very important, and I get this. And Jesus says, well, if I don't cleanse you, Peter, if I don't wash you, you're not part of me. You can't be with me. Then wash all of me, Jesus, my head, my feet, head to toe. That's what he said. Head to toe. He starts taking his clothes off. Get naked. Wash me, Jesus. I added a little bit to that. But the truth was, Peter once again overreacts. Jesus responds in verse 10. A person, and I think he's giggling. Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. Added by Mark. A person who's bathed all over doesn't need to wash, except for his feet, to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean. Well, not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. All right, this is where it's important. You know the story. We're about to turn the corner towards the end here. We're round in third. 
Peter must have felt, every time I think I understand, Jesus changes the channel. Okay, so I said don't wash my feet. Then you said I have to wash all of me. So I say wash all of me, and now you're talking about us being clean and not needing to be washed? Jesus, you are so confusing. What Jesus is saying here is that to be a child of God who has been washed clean by the blood of God's servant, you don't need to be rewashed completely because you're clean. Unless you're Judas. Or unsaved. You see, Jesus knew that Judas was not a, really a follower. He was a follower, small f. He wasn't a follower, capital F. He had hung out with Jesus and done ministry, but he had never given his life to Jesus. He had never submitted to Jesus' plan. And it is only according to 1 John 1, 9 if we confess our sins to him. Not confess that he's good to follow or he's a good teacher, but if we actually admit that we're sinful, then is he, and only then is he faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If you've been in the church your whole life, and I've and I got to tell you something, I've gotten emails and texts from people. I know the last month or two has upset people. Are you saying I'm not saved, Pastor? I'm not saying anything. I'm simply saying that being in church every Sunday of your life, teaching Sunday school, doesn't make you a Christian anymore, and I quote Keith Green, that going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger or an employee of McDonald's. Just because you hang out somewhere, like it somewhere, enjoy the ambiance somewhere, does not make you God's child. Actually confessing your sins, giving your life, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, ruler, and you believe that he was raised from the dead, you'll be saved, Romans 10, 9 through 13 says. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But there's, there's more to it than just going, I think Jesus rocks. I want to go to heaven. Nobody wants to go to hell, and pretty much everybody thinks Jesus was a good guy. Ask a Muslim. The question is, is he Lord of all? Do you trust him with your life? Do you trust him with your world? Do you trust him with your children? Do you trust him with your sin? Do you trust him with your dirty feet? I don't think I do then you may not be saved. Well, I'm a member of Carpenter's Way. That won't even give you discount coffee at the coffee shop. It's true, you need Jesus. Jesus is the answer. If you're watching this morning and you're African American and you're hurting, Jesus is the answer to social justice. He is the only social justice warrior that in eternity will make all things right. If you spend the rest of your life, my white friend, trying to stand up for things this country did that you're hearing negative things about, you're looking and defending the wrong thing. Follow Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. If We've had people leave over the last few years saying that I'm a Calvinist. Seriously? I've said a hundred times I'm not a Calvinist and I'm not a big, huge fan of Arminius either. I'm just a child of God reading the Scriptures. Read it for yourself. I want to follow God. I want to know Him. And that seems to offend everybody, including me. I don't like all this. I didn't like last week's message. Doesn't make it any less true, though. I wish he said, I'm going to put a bubble around you and you're never going to hurt. I wish that the heretics that teach the uh, prosperity gospel, I wish they were right. I wish I got everything I wanted every time I prayed. It wouldn't be good for you, but it'd be good for me. They're wrong, though. You know how you know they're wrong? Because they can't even get rid of COVID-19. 
And if they would, I will aspire to their doctrine. How about walking in any, I'll go in any hospital with any of them. I want to see people right there, just like Jesus. I want, I want their shadow to make them well. Don't believe liars. The lie doesn't make it true if enough people believe it. Follow Jesus. And he is going to do things that make no sense to you. Ask Peter. He is going to sometimes act like a servant when you want him to be a warrior. Dear Lord, destroy Nancy Pelosi. Amen. Son, just because you prayed that, I'm going to save Nancy Pelosi and she's going to be in an apartment right next to you for eternity. (laughs) Of course, I'm making all that up. But the fact is, we've turned Christianity into a self-serving, self-help thing. This is about Jesus and everything Jesus says is about self-sacrifice. Everything. He said over and over again, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross. Deny yourself daily and follow me. Well, I don't like that part. Then don't sign up. Follow Judas. He didn't like it either. But don't fool yourself into thinking you are a disciple of Jesus if in fact you're not. But I want to get back to the story. Jesus has this interaction with Peter and Peter puts his clothes back on and says, okay, wash my feet. Jesus washes his feet. And then it tells us in verse 12, after washing their feet, He puts on a robe again and he sits down and he asks, you get it? Look at the question. Do you understand what I was doing? Just, I just think when we get to heaven even, if Jesus asks that question, let's just all all say no, we don't get it. Because they didn't get it. It's kind of a dumb question. Sorry, Lord. It's a setup for what he's about to teach. Do you really understand what I was doing? Well, of course not, or you wouldn't have a fight with Peter. Verse 13, he's going to tell him what he was doing. You call me teacher and Lord. You're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given an example to you to follow. Do as I've done to you, and I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger. Nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. This is the ultimate metaphor at the end of Jesus' life. This is the ultimate lesson that they would need to learn. This was not really about washing feet. It is ironic to me, and this is all I'm going to say about it, but, and I don't have a problem with it because I've done foot washing when I was in youth ministry, but it is crazy to me that out of this lesson, churches adopted an ordinance of foot washing. That's what Peter thought this was about. This is not about foot washing. It's not about taking dirt off the feet. It was a living metaphor, a visual that they would need to understand later. He even said that to Peter. You're not going to get this right now, so if you'll just be quiet, sit down and let me wash your feet, it'll go way better for you. But Peter, like Pastor Mark, can't do that. I will be quiet once you explain it to me. This wasn't about foot washing, though Peter thought it was. The truth is, once Jesus paid the price for our sin and we confess our sin to him and we accept his offer to cleanse us, his work of cleansing is done. We've had a bath. We've had a spiritual bath. We are free from sin. But Colossians even tells us that we stand before God right now pure and holy and righteous because of the servant work of Jesus on the cross. But even clean people who walk the streets end up with dirty feet and those still need to be washed periodically, don't they? And right now... Right now, we need it more than ever as the body of Christ. So let me bring you up to speed, and I'm going I'm to hit home here. What Jesus is doing is he's thinking, I'm about to die. 
In fact, as he tells them, I'm going to be crucified, at that exact moment, it, tells, it, it says that the, they were already saying, we've got to kill this guy. Let's wait till after Passover. They had already planned it at the exact same moment. So Jesus knows, I've got to have a talk with these guys. I've got to get them to do something. What has he got to get them to do? To take care of each other because he can't take care of them anymore. I mean, he's taking care of us, but physically he can't take care of them. He's about to birth in, in Acts chapter 2. And remember that once we're done with this story of Jesus' life, after he ascends into heaven, we're going right into Acts. Because I don't think most of us know what the church is really about. And I want us to go there. And so we're going to walk right through Acts. We will be done with this big, huge study in about 16 years. But, but the truth is, Jesus is looking at them going, I'm leaving like Craig. I'm leaving. Terry, take care of my children. Terry, uh, Steve, take care of my sister. As he raised his hand, Jesus is looking at them going, do you know what I'm doing? Did you see it? I served you, now serve each other. And I'm not really talking about dirt on your feet. I'm talking about sin. Now I'm going to cleanse you. You're going to have a bath, all of you except for that guy right there. That guy in the middle, the ugly one, he's gonna, he doesn't know me. He's not a follower. Judas, he's actually, you can see from his red eyes, he's demon-possessed already. So, so except for Judas, all of you have been cleansed. But you need to wash each other's feet because as you walk around life, you're going to screw up, especially Peter who's got a big mouth. And John who likes, who's so proud, he is going to refer to himself as the one that Jesus loved. And, 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 you know, and, and then there's going to be Peter who's going to forget to spend time with Gentiles, so a guy named Paul later is going to have to rebuke him. You're, you're going to mess up. Some of you right now are messing up on Facebook. You're mad, you're scared, and you are expressing it. You're doing it, you're expressing it all over the place. And that's why we need each other, because sometimes your pastor's an idiot. Actually, a lot of times your pastor's an idiot. And it is your job as my brother or my sister to wash my feet. Because God can't tap me on the shoulder right now. His Holy Spirit can. But he also gave us each other. We need each other. This is a setup for his prayer. Father, unify them so that the world may know that they are one as we are one. We are in this together, brothers and sisters. We're in this together. And right now, in this weird time of history, it could really get worse. And our country could I would not be surprised, and I, and I don't want to scare you because our hope is in the Lord, but I would not be surprised if in the next two years, depending on who becomes president, if, if we lose our tax-exempt status because we believe in sin. Whether it's adultery or homosexuality, we believe sin is a problem. We believe Jesus is a Savior. While much of Christendom has, a demand, has abandoned the idea of repentance and confession, we will never abandon that. I assure you that the pastoral staff of Carpenter's Way and the elders will never walk away from that. And if any one of us do, they will be removed from our church. Because God's Word is our foundation of truth and hope. It could go that way. God, stop it. Maybe it'll wake us up. Maybe we'll be more effective. Maybe His plan is that some of us have to be martyred. I don't want to be martyred. Nobody wants to be martyred. But some of us get to get to. I shared with you last week, we're in Philippians, it says that not only do we get to share in his mercy, but also his sufferings. I don't want to share in his sufferings. And I'll probably be the first to go. That's why I have Jeff Bonin. He's going to be the first to go. The truth is, this is life. This is what he just told him. And he, he's now telling him to take care of each other. Hebrews 10, 23 and 24, you are so familiar with because this is being thrown around all over the place right now. Think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. That's what we should be encouraging each other to do, he says. But the writer also goes on to say, 
And let us not neglect our meeting together as some of you do. And I, I, just to pause for a second, a lot of people are using that in private emails to me to tell me that I'm, but because we're not all meeting as a large programmed group that we are not, that I'm forsaking the gathering and I'm sinning. I, thank you for that. That's not what this means. This is not about gathering. It's not about programming. It's about what comes after this. Do not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage. And actually the Greek in this actually says, and warn each other. I didn't see that in my Bible. I don't know why they didn't translate it that way. But it actually infers the word encourage here is positive and negative. Warn each other. About what? About forgetting that it's all about Jesus and that our hope is in Him. As a pastor, if I get too political, you've got to be in my face lovingly. Please be loving. As a member of the flock, if I see you telling people to die in their homes of COVID and leave you alone... I'm going to confront it. That's washing your feet. Well, that's not very nice. Neither is it telling people to die. Neither is it just blowing off the African Americans who'd feel deeply hurt because, for whatever reason, because of generations of pain, because of heritage, because of family, because they grew up in a home with no father. Maybe we lack care. Oh, there you are. Now you're Black Lives Matter. I'm... We're not Jew or Greek. We're people. And people need Jesus. And if we are so political and so passionate to maintain our lifestyle that it alienates people who need Jesus, we are wrong. I am just as unsettled as you are right now. I, it's weird to have in Josh here because uh, we've had a couple quick conversations. Uh, one conversation we had, I think, a week or two ago. I just want to tell you how weird we've gotten. Sometimes in the church, not Carpenter's Way, but just in general, in, in East Texas, when somebody's talking about, you know, Mr. Floyd being killed, and that was murder, and I know all of you agree, it's just shocking what we saw in that video. And now we have the riots and, and all that, and that's, and, and while... While picketing and making statements is important, rioting is evil, okay? Burning people's buildings down, that's not right. That's not what I'm saying. But some of us actually wrote on Facebook, if they really cared about black lives, they'd say more about Chicago. Do you have any idea how many evangelical churches in Chicago are trying to help those hurting neighborhoods? The church, my family. Moody Church in Chicago. And hundreds of other churches. Do you know why Moody Bible Institute is in downtown Chicago? Because it was even worse after the Chicago fire. And he knew that in the inner city, there needed to be people that were not only trained, but doing ministry. It was built for lay people so that they could reach the lost for Christ. He was one of the pioneers of Sunday school. But he didn't do it within the walls of a church. D.L. Moody did it downtown with a bunch of kids. And I wish I had thought about I was going to talk about this today. Because if I read you the names of those those homeless boys that he was doing a Sunday school class for, you'd laugh. I think one was Angry Red and one was, an, uh, I mean, the names are like hoodlum names. Maybe instead of running away, we should run to the fire. You first, Pastor. I'm too busy in the temple. And I'm not saying I'm right on all this. I'm just saying, think. Well, what does this have to do with foot washing? I'm washing your feet right now. Jesus has been washing our feet for the last four weeks. It's been tough. And you've got to wash each other's feet. I know it's bad. 
I know it can get worse. It seems like the COVID's getting worse. I know in the next couple days that the, the city may require you or ask you to wear masks or whatever. And you're going to have a choice to make. Am I going to demand my rights? Or am I going to submit to a government that's not asking me to sin? What are we about, people? Are we about our rights? Are we willing to pick up our little mask and our cross and follow him? Pastor, how does the message on washing the disciples' feet end up talking about masks? Because you've got to decide what spiritual hills to die on and which ones to trust. Just as offended as you are to be forced to wear a mask, Peter was offended that Jesus would act like a servant and touch his dirty feet. All right, I'm about done. Kevin, we're going to the very last passage, Colossians 1, 13 and 14. I want you to look at this. Julie and I have been talking about this a lot. For God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Follow me. He's rescued Mark from the kingdom of darkness and transferred me now in 2020, the week before July 4th, into the kingdom of his dear son. Maybe I should act like it. I don't know if Chad had to leave. Chad, is Chad still here? Did he have to go? So he had to go. That song, dude, I've sung it a hundred times. So dang doctrinally correct. And dang is a Greek word. It's okay. This is our problem. Mark's. And I know it's our problem because it's Mark's problem. It's Peter's problem. Well, I say he's my Lord of spiritual things. I run my life over here. It's time for me to take Jesus and enthrone him over here as well. Be enthroned. In my, in my worship to you, in every area, in the good and the bad, be enthroned, Jesus. He has transferred us from his kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, of his dear son. Let's live like it now. Let's do it together. 500 of us. We've got about 1,000 people who come to Carpenter's Way. Every other person. Let's do it together. What will it cost us? Everything. Everything. It will. It'll cost us everything. Everything. Our opinions, our rights, maybe our country. Well, if I don't fight, the chips will fall where they may. They're going to anyway. I want God to be in control of my life. I want to sleep, and the only worry I have is that I'm faithful to the end. That's where I want to be. Pastor, what does that have to do with foot washing? I can't do it alone. Because I won't be able to do it all the time, and I need you to wash my feet. And I'll wash yours. And that's why the family of God was birthed a dozen years later. Or not a dozen, sorry, my math is off. A few months later. Because Jesus was leaving physically and he left us for each other. Will you join me in surrendering? Let's close in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for rescuing me out of the kingdom of darkness and delivering me into the kingdom of your glorious Son. Now may I enthrone you in control of that part of my life, all of my life, every bit of it. May I trust you for my family, Father, that you have allowed Julie and I and Anna and Zach and Hannah the privilege of, of worshiping with. 
may we all join together, no matter what it costs us, as a family who values love and truth and absolute surrender. Thank you, Father, for this morning's time in the Word. Now teach us what it means to wash each other's feet. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, next weekend, I'm excited. Zach's going to be here. He's going to be preaching Sunday. I will be here as well. And uh, he's going to be preaching on identity. Thank you for watching online. I hope you have a wonderful and safe fourth. Please do not blow your hand off. I cannot visit you in the hospital. Have a great Sunday.